Hello and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten and I'm the JNMP podcast editor. I'm joined today by Associate Professor of Medicine, Dr. Mario Mazelis from the Cognitive and Movement Disorders Clinic, Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, which is fully affiliated with the University of Toronto. We've also got Assistant Professor, Dr. Philip Demarai from the University of Montreal. And we're going to be talking about therapeutic trial design for frontotemporal dementias and the related disorders. So Phil and Mario, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So my first question is about sort of the historic nature of whether there have been many successful trials in the FTD population. Um, I, might, I might divert that to you, Phil, if that's all right. There haven't been many clinical trials in FTD, especially when we compare to um, the number of clinical trials that have been conducted to date for Alzheimer's disease or for Parkinson's disease. We wanted to identify all the previously published randomized controlled trials of pharmacological interventions for FTD spectrum disorders, including for uh, behavioral and language variants of FTD, PSP syndromes, and corticobasal syndrome. Therefore, we conducted our study, which was a comprehensive systematic review of the literature, and we were able to retrieve a total of 23 fully published clinical trials. Twelve of those uh, trials involved participants with behavioral variant FTD, and 11 trials involved participants with PSP syndrome. While some of these clinical trials did capture significant meaningful changes on some of the selected endpoint measures, Overall, most of the retrieved studies results were, quite, were, were negative. It must be said, however, that these clinical trials were all early phase trials focused uh, mainly on durability and safety of the, the drug and were small in sample size and short duration, which probably precluded detection of a clinically significant treatment effect. Nevertheless, as of today, clinically, there are no effective evidence-based symptomatic pharmacological interventions or disease-modifying interventions for patients diagnosed with a FTD spectrum disorder. I'd also like to add that the studies done to date, the majority of them, uh, were looking at uh, what we call symptomatic therapies, so therapies that treat the symptoms of frontotemporal dementia but don't actually go after the underlying pathology. There have been some studies, uh, specifically in PSP, that did look at potential disease-modifying therapies, but those were negative. And so, as, as uh, Dr. Desmarais had, had discussed, essentially, there is some evidence for symptomatic therapies where we can improve symptoms temporarily for these patients, but nonetheless, the patients with FTD all continue to decline and will eventually um, and unfortunately die from uh, their disorder. So we've got a very small, your, your papers found this very small amount of clinical trials in this population, a number that I imagine pales in comparison to those seen in, say, Alzheimer's disease, despite FTD being the second most common dementia under the age of 65, uh, to my knowledge anyway. So I wondered whether your paper or, or, or through your expertise, you've managed to sort of disentangle the sort of key reasons why these sorts of clinical trials are so difficult, these sort of interventional or even disease modifying, if they're, if they're mainly symptomatic, are so difficult in the FTD population. It's a, it's a great question. One of the reasons why, um, actually the main reason why, is because there's substantial clinical and pathological heterogeneity. So from the pathological standpoint, uh, there are two main 
uh, subtypes of FTLD pathology, FTLD tau, and so frontotemporal lobar degeneration tau, and frontotemporal lobar degeneration TDP. And currently, our ability to predict those underlying pathologies in life in vivo is very low unless a patient had a mutation that is associated with those pathologies. For example, uh, granulin mutations and hexanucleotide repeat expansions in the C9 or 72 gene are associated with TDP pathologies and cause TDP pathology, whereas the mutations in MAPT gene, the microtubule-associated uh, protein tau gene, um, cause tau pathology. So we're only able to accurately predict what the underlying pathology is, um, at least at this moment in time, if we have patients with these specific autosomal dominant gene mutations. Another reason why these trials have been challenging to conduct and why they have been met many failures is because there's also substantial clinical heterogeneity. In other words, in the way that uh, patients present uh, with symptoms. So there are two major variants of frontotemporal dementia, uh, specifically the behavioral variant, where patients can present with uh, disrupted behaviors, uh, they can uh, have a change in their personality, they lose empathy towards others, they can do things that are inappropriate and that can get themselves in trouble, uh, they can also develop significant apathy. And so you need one set of outcome measures to measure behaviors that are specifically to measure these kinds of behaviors. And alternatively, the other type of FTD uh, syndrome that we can see are those associated with specifically language uh, involvement. Uh, so you can have what's called the primary progressive aphasias. Uh, one presents with troubles uh, with non-fluency, so difficulties finding words, difficulties com completing sentences, and then uh, difficulties putting together uh, appropriate syntax and grammar. Um, and then the second variant of primary progressive aphasia is semantic dementia, uh, which is associated with loss of word meaning and a fluent type of aphasia. So as you can imagine, it's very difficult to have a single outcome measure in a trial that will pick up uh, this degree of complexity. Um, and so we need to be working towards other outcome measures in order to be able to have outcome measures that are meaningful and that can, uh, that can change in response to a potential disease-modifying agent. So those are just some of the complexities. And also I would add that they do are clinically and pathologically heterogeneous uh, disorders. And what's also very challenging is then is when we do have pathologies at the end uh, at autopsy, it's not uncommon to find comorbid pathologies in the brain, such as alpha synucleopathy or amyloid plaques, as well as vascular lesions, which makes the picture a lot more complicated. So we've obviously got this huge Gordian knot, I suppose, in terms of the clinical and pathological heterogeneity of these diseases and trying to find, as you mentioned, um, Dr. Marcellus, you know, meaningful outcomes that sort of are tailored or appropriately parcelated for these individual conditions um, that fall under this spectrum. So I wondered what yours and your, both of your thoughts were on sort of the appropriate ways to move forward with this, the appropriate ways to develop new outcome measures or, or appropriate clinical trial design. 
So in our paper, we provide several recommendations for future clinical trials in order to address some of the current challenges and limitations that we identified in the previously published trials. Considering the significant clinical and pathological heterogeneity of these disorders, uh, we believe that physician medicine approaches can resolve many of these identified issues. And we propose a selection process for potential eligible participants based on precision medicine approaches where these potential participants would undergo clinical assessments to see whether or not they meet uh, international consensus diagnostic criteria for an FTD spectrum disorders, but also undergo genetic testing to, to um, determine if they are mutation carriers or non-carriers, non as well for some important genetic variants. And finally, they could undergo further testing to determine if they have pathology-specific biomarkers or the um, molecular target for the investigational drug. Pathology-specific biomarkers could be used either as an inclusion criterion uh, as well as an exclusion criterion. For instance, participants could uh, undergo a amyloid PET scan, and if the PET scan is positive, they could be excluded from the study. As previously said by Dr. Masalis, uh, FTD spectrum disorders are clinically and pathologically heterogeneous disorders, and it's vital for future clinical trials to have participants uh, with well-defined, well-characterized disorders in regard to um, clinical manifestations, molecular findings on MRI and PET scan, as well as genetically. And as he also mentioned, these disorders have numerous manifestations, cognitive, language, mortar, and neuropsychiatric manifestations. And future clinical trials should use several accurate and validated tools and scales to assess uh, these manifestations and the effect of the inv investigational drug uh, on those manifestations. One other recommendation that we were making in the paper is that we suggest to conduct larger clinical trials um, using trial-ready cohorts like the GenFi cohort. Considering that these disorders have somewhat a low prevalence in the general population, it's imperative to use uh, innovative study design and to collaborate through international initiatives in order to have a good power to detect a significant drug effect. And uh, essentially what, what uh, Dr. Desmarais is referring to is specifically in addition to having very good clinical outcome measures that can measure the different phenotypes associated with FDD, we need to have uh, biomarkers. And so when we're talking about amyloid PET, that would be, for example, a biomarker that can exclude cases who are suspected to have Alzheimer's disease and not have a frontal temporal dementia or at least have comorbid Alzheimer's pathology. And other biomarkers include uh, genetic biomarkers uh, such as the autosomal dominant mutation subtype. So we can identify patients that have a predicted pathology based on their specific genetic background. But we also need to control for other genetic variables that may impact the presentation of the disease. For example, in granulin and C9 or 72 related frontotemporal dementia, patients can have a common variation uh, in their DNA sequence in the gene called TMEM106B. And if you have one variant, it actually uh, protects you against the, the development of the disease and leads to a later age of onset and a longer disease duration. Whereas if you have a risk variant, your age of onset is earlier and the disease is more aggressive. 
And so our studies, as we propose, our clinical trials, as we propose in the future, should take advantage of this knowledge and include these as variables in the design of the trials so that uh, we have a better chance of success. In other words, controlling for as many factors that may influence the disease course possible. It sounds like the early identification of biomarkers um, and sort of appropriately assessing the variation between each individual with these diseases is a necessary step forward for future trial design. Dr. Demarai and Dr. Marcellus, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you so much. So that was this month's Editor's Choice, which you can, of course, download for free from jnp.bmj.com. It's a fantastic and informative paper looking at the therapeutic trial design for frontotemporal dementia and the related disorders. And we thank you all for tuning in and listening. Mm -hmm.